The reading is from Mark chapter 1, verse 1 to 38. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John 
to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went up to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. This is the word of God. Hello everyone, and welcome to Trinity Morningside. May I add my welcome to the Bellingans, and it's uh, yeah, great to have you with us, wherever you may be from. Just one um, announcement before we start on the talk. Um, praying is, is one of the most important things we can be doing right now. Um, in normal times, we, if you remember, we had the engine room, and we, we called it that because it, was, it really was the engine room of our, of our church, of our lives. We were, we were praying together and asking God our Father um, for various things uh, which he wants us to do. Obviously, uh, we can't be getting together in person now, but on Wednesday this week, to kick off 2021, we are going to be having uh, not the engine room, but the engine Zoom. <laughs> and um, we're going to be gathering on Zoom, as many of us as we can, to pray, to pray for our church, for each other, for the nation, and for the year ahead, or the term ahead. And we really, we really want as many people as we can uh, to join us for that, so we'll get details out and that's what's going to be happening. Uh, we're starting a new series this morning in Mark. I'll say more about that in a moment. Let me pray as we start. Father God, we thank you so much that we're here. We thank you that um, even in this strange way, we can be listening to you speak to us because you are a God who speaks through the Bible and through his Spirit. And I just pray that you would do that this morning. Um, again, wherever we may be, that you, we would hear your voice Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, do you feel like you're in good news? Uh, do you feel like you're in need of good news this morning? Uh, my guess is we all, <laughs> we all are. Um, and you don't need me to tell you why. Um, the pandemic is through the roof at the moment, isn't it? I'm sure we've all saw memes over, over the new year, sort of saying goodbye to 2020. And, you know, thanks for coming. We don't want to see you again. And yet, there's that familiar feeling, isn't there, of fear and uncertainty as to what's happening at the moment. Um, I feel like I'm hearing of more people dying. Perhaps it's just the circles I'm in, I don't know, through the pandemic. On top of that, there'll be economic concerns, won't there? Job uncertainty. And, and on top of that, just life. With or without a pandemic, life is difficult. We're definitely in need of good news. And I guess in our minds... That would mean, what, vaccines all around, economic upturn, studies back on, jobs for everyone. The next few months, we're going to be looking at what God sees, 
what God thinks good news is. Uh, we're going to be looking at what he thinks we need to hear at the beginning of 2021 and every, every, and every year, actually. And the good news we're going to be hearing is news about a king. Now, the idea of a king doesn't fit so readily with our thinking, does it? We talk more about governments and um, presidents and so on. Um, but, and the country I'm from, the monarchy is, is powerless. But throughout history, kings have been powerful, haven't they? They've, they've conquered on behalf of their people. The good ones have provided for, protected, um, sacrificed themselves for in battle, and loved their people even. The good news we need, 2021, is about a king who does all of those things and more. Uh, now, my guess is I, I'm speaking to at least three groups of people here. So, so the first group, I guess, are those of us who don't know Jesus. Um, you know Christianity and you know church, but you don't know Jesus. Um, you know of him like you know of the president, but you don't know him like you know a friend or your family. Um, you don't know him personally. He, he's, you know, he's just that guy. And that's okay, but you need to know that's not Christianity. That's, that's churchianity at best. Um, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have him as your king, um, that's not Christianity. As I've said before, Christianity is about a person. The first verse of Mark's gospel does not say the beginning of the good news or the gospel about church, moral living, religious rituals, the beginning of the the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. Christianity is about a person. And so so if that's you, if you fall into that category, it's great, it's great you're listening. Mark's gospel is going to be great for you to get to the heart of Christianity. It's going to show you the real Jesus at the heart of Christianity. The second group, I guess, are those of us who know Jesus, but a bit like we know an old school friend. Uh, We've had some good times. We've been close in the past. Uh, but to be honest, it's, now it's just the occasional Facebook comment. In other words, life has taken over. You've got distracted by various things. Jesus has faded into the background. Uh, still doing church, perhaps on and off to some degree, but Jesus himself has faded. And, and again, if that's you, Mark's gospel is going to be great because it, it, Jesus hasn't gone, any, gone anywhere. He's still God's king. He still wants to know you. He still wants you to know him. And this will introduce or reintroduce you to Jesus, just to remind you actually of how great he is and how, of how he has to be at the center of, of our lives and the world, in fact. And the third group, I guess, are those of us who know Jesus and are walking with him. Uh, he is your king. You listen to him and his word. You trust him. You, you do your best in the power of the spirit to live Uh, obediently to him, although imperfectly. Um, And Mark's gospel remind us that we've we've made the right call. Um, So many things push against us living as Christians, our own sin, um, suffering, you know, pandemics, the world, whatever. It's good to remember, isn't it? We've made the right call. The the Jesus we see in Mark's gospel is, is wonderful. He's compassionate. He's powerful, he's just, he's loving, he came to serve you. The beauty of Jesus will remind us it makes perfect sense to follow him. More than that, it's a joy to follow him. The point I'm making is Mark's gospel is for all of us. Um, 
Mark himself was known as a, as a really great storyteller. Uh, you may not know, he accompanied Paul on many of his missionary journeys. And, and when they went into the synagogues to talk about Jesus, he was often called upon to tell the story of Jesus. People wanted to know what, you know, what did Jesus say? What did he do? What was Jesus like? And Mark would tell them. And, and he sort of uh, put all of that together into one concise book uh, that we have. 16 chapters, it's the shortest gospel. It breaks evenly into two halves. The first eight chapters talk primarily about who Jesus is. That's what Mark's trying to get across. The second eight about what Jesus came to do. And throughout the 16 chapters, Mark is, is really challenging us with the right way to respond to Jesus. And those three questions really are, are the center of Mark. It's what Mark helps us with. And it's, it's hard to find more important questions, I think, in the world for us to answer. Who is Jesus? Therefore, what is the right way to respond to him? And what did he actually come to do? And actually, we get preliminary answers to these questions in our passage today. Um, again, our passage, I think, breaks into two. You could describe the first part of our passage, that's verses 1 to 15, as, a, as like a long drum roll. You know, you know, like a, a drum of to build suspense, getting louder and louder. And verse 15, where Jesus speaks for the first time as kind of the cymbal crash at the end of that, that drum roll. And that sort of cymbal crash reverberates around the second part of the passage. Um, and the drum roll of verse 15, 1 to 15 is made up of five announcements. We're going to see those now. Basically telling us the same thing. Very simply, good news, God's king has come. God's king has come. Uh, the first announcement, we've already seen Mark's announcement, verse 1. Just look at that. The beginning of the good news, that's the gospel, about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As we said, the gospel is not actually about us. It's about a king that, that has been chosen by God to rule the universe. That king's name is Jesus. He lived pretty much 2,000 years ago. If you'd been around, you could have eaten with him, uh, walked with him, spoken, laughed with him probably. That Jesus who lived and breathed in history is God's king to rule the universe. That's Mark's, that's Mark's announcement. And pretty much his whole gospel is unpacking this announcement. Now, that king, Jesus, didn't arrive in a vacuum, did he? There's a context in which he arrived into and a background around that. Um, second announcement, drum roll gets a bit louder, this is Isaiah's announcement. Isaiah was a, a prophet a few hundred years before Jesus, and he told the Jewish people that, that the Lord, the King, Messiah, was coming. And, and in these quotes here, he tells them that a messenger is going to come and help them get ready for that. Uh, verse 2, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So Isaiah's announcement is that a messenger will come that will help them get ready for God's king. And if you were a Jew in those days, you would have grown up reading Isaiah. In fact, your grandfather and your great-grandfather would have grown up reading Isaiah and also waiting for this to happen. Um, that's not to say God's people lived on tenterhooks waiting for God's Messiah, um, in many ways, uh, the, the Jews had drifted away from being the people God wanted them to be. Uh, and that's why the third announcement uh, is necessary. Drum roll continues. 
Um, you see, who is this messenger? Who is it who's going to get everyone ready? Verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared. Um, now, if Jesus is the bridegroom, as he calls himself later, John the Baptist is the best man. He's the guy who's arrived at the venue to make sure the chairs are straight, make sure everything's in place, the flowers are good, and everyone's ready for the bridegroom. He's come to prepare the way, get everyone ready, make straight paths. Um, in fact, if a king was visiting one of his cities, they would do literally that. They would make straight paths. They would build a new road, a straight kind of flat, easy road for the king to enter in on. This is what John's doing, um, but not with their road, uh, but with their relationship with God. See verse 4? And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. In other words, he was to get everyone ready to meet the king by getting them back on good terms with the king. They drifted away from God. Uh, corruption and injustice was rife. Um, there's no way they were ready for the, for the king to arrive. And John's point was this. You guys have turned away from God. You've lived, you've lived as if he's a relative. You've lived as if you're not his people, as if he hasn't made promises to you. You've forgotten about him. You need to acknowledge this, confess your sins. You need to turn back to him repent, and you need to do it quickly because he's on his way. And those who did this, who turned back, he would baptize to symbolize externally what had happened internally. And he's hugely popular, right? Verse 5, did you see? The whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem went out to them. Uh, in fact, at this point, if you'd ask someone who Jesus of Nazareth was, they'd have gone, I don't know. If you'd ask them who John the Baptist was, oh yeah, everyone knows who he is. He's the guy. Um, but he resists all the temptation, all the all the attention. So he's massively popular, but he resists the, the attention because that was essentially his message. He said, "I'm just the best man." No, the bridegroom is coming. Verse seven. Do you see? And this was his message: After me will come the one more powerful than I the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In other words, not me, but him. The king's coming. He's so great. I'm, I'm not even worthy to, un, you know, to do up his laces. And, and one of the reasons he's so much greater than me is that his baptism is so much greater than mine. You, you see, in reality, what, what can water, that's what John was doing, what can water really do? Well, it can make you physically clean. Some of us may have experienced that today. Um, but it does nothing for the spiritual dirt that's inside of us because of our sin. What John is saying is that Jesus' baptism with the Holy Spirit deals with that internal spiritual dirt. What his water baptism symbolized, Jesus' Spirit baptism actually achieved. So Mark's announcement, Isaiah's announcement, John's announcement. But if he's God's king, we should hear from God, surely. Fourth announcement, drum roll, really loud now. Verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, 
with you I am well pleased. God is personally and, and audibly endorsing Jesus as his king. He's saying to Jesus, you are the one, you are uh, the one I love, the son I love. You are my king. And so indirectly to everyone else, he's saying, this guy is the one to follow. And there's one more announcement. Last one is the announcement of the king himself. And this is really the symbol crash. Verse 14, look. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. In other words, the time has come. The sharp point of all the prophecies in the Old Testament uh, has arrived. This is a, a hugely significant peak in history. The sharp point of everything John the Baptist has been saying and doing because the kingdom of God has arrived. Symbol crash. It's here, right? It's happening. Uh, how can Jesus say that? Because he's it, right? The kingdom of God has arrived because the king has arrived. So Mark, the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Isaiah, there's a messenger who's coming to get you ready. John, get ready, turn back to God before he comes. God, you are my son, this is the king. Jesus, the kingdom's here because I'm here. All five telling us the same thing. There is a king that God has put in place over the world and his name is Jesus. And we might not realize that this has tremendous implications for us in our lives today. Think about it. If he rules over the whole universe, then he must rule over me and you. You might say, well, that was, you know, that's back then. This is old. That's back then. This is now. Well, God's king doesn't have a time limit on his, on his reign. It's not two terms and then step down. In fact, through the Bible, we're told he reigns forever which means he's ruling right now. And so we're either someone, I guess, who accepts his rule over us or contends or contests his rule over us. There really are only those two kinds of people. I hesitate to use this example because I know colonialism is not a popular topic. 250-odd years ago, James Cook sailed the Endeavour ship into Botany Bay to claim the new land of Australia for Her Majesty the Queen. Now, how does he do that? So he's arrived in the bay. How does he go about claiming the land for the Queen? Well, what he does is he gets off the boat. He goes onto the beach. He walks up the beach, and he sticks a flag into the, into the, the land. And that flag symbolizes a new rule. So it told everyone who lived there that, that the British had taken over and the people there had two options. They could accept that and you know, enjoy the benefits of that or they could contest that and experience, I guess, the consequences of that. So what these verses very simply have told us is that God has raised a flag in the world. He has set up anew. The very statement that, that Jesus is God's king over the world is him planting a flag in the world to say, this is, my, this is my king, my rule, his rule extends over everyone. In fact, you could say he's raised a flag in Nigel land, right? In my own world, there's a new rule in my world. And I can either accept that and enjoy the, ben- the, ben- the blessings and benefits of that, or I can reject it, contest it. 
Now, I know we get nervous with this kind of, it feels like a show of force, doesn't it? A kind of power grab, which is what they've been complaining about in the States lately. It's what we see, sadly, on our continent quite a lot, even um, some people say in Uganda at the moment. But we need to know Jesus is not like any other human re- uh, leader. We're going to see this as very clearly as we go through Mark's gospel. He's not like any human leader. It may or may not have been good news that the British arrived in Australia. It probably wasn't. But it is good news that God's king has come to a world he already owns, by the way. Now, how do we know this is God's king? It's all very well to say that, right? It's all very well to plant a flag. But is it real? Well, what's the primary thing you expect from a king or a a president? What do you expect them to show? The primary thing you expect them to show is authority, isn't it? If a king doesn't have authority, he's not a king. And the wider the reach of the authority, the greater the king, right? Second thing to see, and this is really the the symbol crash reverberating onto the rest of the passage, Um, Second thing, good news. He has authority over everything. So in these verses, Mark gives us snapshots of Jesus' authority as if to say, yeah, it's real. He's the real deal. Verse 15 is true. The kingdom of God has come. He is the king. Look. Firstly, there's the authority of the call. Verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out fish. Sorry, I will send you to catch fish. What? I will send you out to fish for people. Sorry, I wrote it down wrong. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Notice how Mark emphasizes the authority of the call. Verse 18, at once. Verse 20, without delay. These guys didn't seem to think twice. It was a no-brainer. I don't think Jesus is pulling a kind of Jedi mind trick. You know, you will follow me. We will follow you. You know, they've come across Jesus already, they've heard him speak, they've met him, and there's something so deeply impressive and compelling about him that that when he calls them, they leave everything. They leave their their business, their, their home, their family temporarily. In calling people to follow him, Jesus is saying, I want priority over everything, over your career, your money, your your life your home. And if he is the king, that verse 115 suggests he is, that makes perfect sense. It really captures what it still means to be a Christian. Jesus is first, I'm second. Secondly, the authority of the teaching. Verse 21, they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So Jesus and his new disciples um, head to Capernaum, right? Head to the synagogue. Jesus starts talking, but there's something very different about him. And and it blows people away. In fact, um, even after he casts a demon out of the guy, which is pretty amazing, pretty impressive, It's still his teaching that amazes them. See verse 27. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what what is this? 
a new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. So the evil spirits is almost an afterthought. They're blown away by his teaching. What's so great about it? What's so different? Well, the key word is the word authority, isn't it? That's why they were amazed in verse 22, because he taught them as one who had authority. Verse 27, a new teaching and with authority. And the word authority literally means from the original stuff. Right? So it's where we get the word author from. Uh, when an author writes something, if he's not plagiarizing, he's writing from the original stuff. Um, and Jesus, and that's how Jesus was speaking. He's speaking as the author. And they weren't used to this. The, the teachers of the law, they didn't speak like this. They would, you know, quote one rabbi and then this rabbi and say this and that. Jesus wasn't referring to other authorities. He was explaining the, the story of their lives, the story of God's world as the author. And it blew them away. I imagine you could have heard a pin drop as he was speaking. They were hearing the author of the world and the author of their lives. Perhaps you've experienced that, I don't know, through, through what Jesus says the world begins to make sense to you. you know? And not just that, your own life begins to make sense. right? Who I am, where I've come from, what my purpose in life is, where I go to. It starts to make sense when you hear the author speak. Um, C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe. Um, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. He's saying it's not just the facts of Christianity, the gospel accounts, the resurrection of Jesus and so on. It's also the light that Christianity brings to everything else. Suffering in the world, uh, purpose in our lives, global pandemics, beauty of creation, the sense of longing we have, the, the need for friendship. and it, it makes sense of all of that. By the words of the author, we see everything else. It begins to make sense. So the authority of the call, the authority of the teaching, the authority of the healing Firstly, from evil, right? So Jesus, uh, he, he's preaching in the synagogue. Everyone's amazed. They could hear a pin drop. And then the silence is broken by a grown man screaming. Verse 23. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And I, I always think it must be terrifying to see, right? A grown man convulsing, screaming, foaming at the mouth possibly. What's happening? Well, evil has come face to face with God's king. And the evil spirit knows it. He knows he's the one God has sent to, to beat him and destroy him. And, and he starts shouting about it. Uh, and Jesus doesn't want this spread about too quickly. People kept saying, you know, he's the Messiah, he's the Messiah, he's the Messiah. The chances are he'd be arrested before he could show what kind of Messiah he was going to be. He had much to achieve before that happened. So he wants, he wants that on the down low. And he, and he says it, just be quiet. Again, great authority, right? Just by speaking, Jesus overpowers the evil spirit and heals this guy. I remember working, I used to work as a teacher in, a, in between school and varsity. I worked as a sort of junior teacher in a, in a school. And I was 
absolutely hopeless at kind of controlling the children. I think I just wanted to be, you know, their friend or whatever. So I was like, you know, I just used to say, okay, guys, you know, I would be heard. Okay, guys, settle down, calm down now. Okay, guys, settle down, settle down. Nothing happened at all. There was one teacher, it was actually the sports teacher, Rob. Rob Williams would walk in, absolute silence. He would walk in, he wouldn't even say, be quiet, absolute silence. Now, Jesus has the same kind of authority, not over school children, over the forces of evil in the world. Just says, be quiet, and they obey him. Evil has no place in God's kingdom. And so it makes sense when the king of God's kingdom comes, he cleans it up, tidies it up, gets rid of it. And this is great news for us, a king with power over evil. It's great news because Jesus later says we're all in slavery to that evil and sin and death. We desperately need a king with power to free us from that. So he has authority not just over evil itself, but the effects of evil in the world as well. So from sickness, uh, verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they they knew who he was. So you've got a very private healing, followed by a lot of very public healing. The private one is Simon's mother-in-law. Mark emphasizes the authority Jesus has over her sickness with with the quality of the healing, so to speak. Um, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't recover in bed for a few days. You know, it's touch and go, but she should make it. He goes to her. We t- we're told he just helps her up, and immediately she's better. She suddenly starts. You know, I sort of imagine flapping around, getting food for everyone. We need to do this, bossing people around and stuff. Completely back to normal suddenly. And uh, <clears throat> actually, I remember, um, I remember doing this with a. We're reading this with a guy, and uh, he was particularly struck by the fact, you know, he said, Jesus has has authority over mothers-in-law. That's it for me. I'm in. Um, Obviously, the point is sickness, though. But And then we get the very public healing, right? Again, Mark is emphasizing the authority Jesus has, this time by the scale of the healing. Verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick, demon-possessed, the whole town gathered at the door. Imagine that. There must have been hundreds of people maybe thousands, at this little house. And again, Jesus started cleaning up his kingdom. Heal this person, heal that person, cast out this demon, cast out that demon. The king starting to get rid of evil and sickness in his kingdom. And again, as the author of the human body, he has the authority to put it right. Now again, this is great news for us, isn't it? A king with the power to put everything right with the power to get rid of all sickness and illness and viruses. But it's also great because when we look at this, we can be sure who Jesus is. And what his healing does is show us, and everyone there, that he is the king that the drum roll was announcing. I read, um, managed to finish Lord of the Rings, so I read the third book uh, while I was on my COVID bed, actually, um, reading uh, Return of the King. And there's a bit, there's a great line in that book after the battle where there are lots of people injured and Aragorn the king is is kind of going around visiting people. And um, a woman says, 
The hands of the king are healing hands, and thus shall the rightful king be known. Um, no guess what Tolkien was talking about. It's the same with Jesus, isn't it? Because of his authority over sickness and disease and evil, thus shall the rightful king be known. We, we know he must be the right king. But you know he's doing a second thing as well. So he's not just proving he's the king. He's also giving a little glimpse of his kingdom, of what it's like. Uh, that little bit of vorse off the braai uh, to give a taste of what is to come in the rest of the meal. So, right, so he's proved who he is. He's flexed his authority. He calls men to leave their families, their jobs, and they do. He teaches as though he's the author of, of everything, every story. People are blown away and amazed. He gets rid of evil as if it's nothing. He gets rid of disease and sickness as if it's nothing. Surely by this, the rightful king must be known. Yes, but at the same time, he gives us a glimpse of what his kingdom is like. It's a kingdom in which everyone lives happily under the rule of Jesus. It's a kingdom in which he rules by his words and his words amaze people. It's a kingdom in which evil has no place. Imagine that. A kingdom with nothing wrong in, nothing sad in. How we need that world at the moment. It's a kingdom in which sickness and disease have no place. No COVID, no cancer, no death. As another character in Lord of the Rings says, it's a place where everything sad will become untrue. That's the kingdom Jesus has brought in. Not completely now, of course, but one day. And until then, how do we respond to everything we see here? The king has come. He has authority over everything, including you and me. One other thing to consider, though, <clears throat> before we answer that, what we discover later in the gospel is what Jesus uses his absolute authority for. I don't know if you wondered earlier on why Jesus had to be baptized. You know, if John is baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins, why is it that Jesus was baptized? Why? Surely he had no sins to repent of. Well, what's happening here, I think, is a hint as to why Jesus came. Not to sit aloof and socially distance from sinful people like us, but to identify with us in our sin, to take on, to take on the effects of the sin virus for, for us, uh, to be baptized into death instead of us. He's not a king on a throne demanding to be served because he has authority over everything. He's a king on a cross giving himself for his people because he loves them. And in so doing, he does battle for us. Again, a hint in verse 12, right? Uh, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. The wilderness wasn't a random detour. It was a battleground. It's a fight we lost in the Garden of Eden, but it's a fight he wins there in the wilderness and completely on the cross. And I find when I remember that that's the kind of king Jesus is, yes, absolute authority, but absolute authority used for my good. Really, when I really dwell on that, I find it easier to respond in the way that Jesus wants me to respond in verse 15. <clears throat> Repent and believe the good news. Repent, change your mind about Jesus. Reorientate your life in 2021 towards him. And believe the good news. Believe that Jesus is the king of the universe with absolute authority over everything. Um, some of us will need to repent and believe with a capital R and B, as in for the first time. So actually you're stuck in churchianity 
uh, without really recognizing the flag that's been, that's been put in your, in your land, without really knowing Jesus, without experiencing the joy of having Jesus as your king, you'll need to change your mind about Jesus and turn back to him, repent and believe as Jesus wants you to do. Some of us will have done that, of course, and we'll need to keep repenting and believing with small r and b every day. Uh, Jesus is our king. We live under him. He's taken our sin. He's fought for us and won. But there'll still be part of our lives that we struggle um, to let him rule in. I wonder what yours is. Could be we just trust, just trusting him for the future. I think we all need help with that. Trusting him with our money. Trusting him that he knows best about sexuality. Putting him and his people first and me second. And so every day we turn back to Jesus. Uh, every day we, I guess, we recrown him in our lives. We turn back away from sin, away from turning away from him, away to turn back to him. And, and because God's king has come, that's what we're being told. And he has authority over everything, which is great news. It's authority that he uses for my good and for your good. It is the, the right call to follow Jesus. He is the king over everything. And he has absolute authority. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you so much for sending Jesus. We, we thank you that he's come. We thank you that he is the king you have chosen to rule over your world. And we thank you that he is supremely qualified to do that. Just as we see his absolute authority over, over people, the way he speaks, the way he uh, teaches truth, the way he beats evil, the way he dismisses evil and sickness. I thank you that your kingdom, his kingdom is like that. And Father, I pray that as we turn and trust daily perhaps, or even for the first time, I pray that you would help us to, to see him as he really is, to change our mind about him, change our hearts towards him so that we can live under him and experience the joy of having him as our king. And in his name we pray. Amen.